Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. James 1, 1 through 18. So mm-hmm. I've been uh, so blessed these last couple of weeks and looking forward to this morning. So let's go ahead. I'll read 1 through 18, and then Pastor Bob will come up and exposit it for us. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass Its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning." Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. All right, this is our third week looking in our study of the book of James. And so as Chuck stated, we're actually looking at the same passage now, the same section for the third week in a row. And when we begin, we begin looking at... um, the, the theme, if you would, the, the author, the audience, and the theme of the book. And we saw, again, that actually the writer's name is Jacob, Yachav, Yachavis. And so that comes over through all everything in, as James. But it's a Jewish man, okay, who is the half-brother of Jesus, right, writing to a Jewish audience. And specifically the Jewish audience, again, I want to continually rem- remember this as we're coming through this. This, this is a Jewish audience that has been scattered Okay, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, among the, uh, around, due to persecution. Persecution, okay? And so when he's getting into the trials, when he's getting into the troublesome situations, again, you have to think of the fact of what is actually being happening, what's being stated here, okay? And so we saw that, and we saw then that the theme um, is regarding God. God himself is the theme, okay? But specifically, God himself as being the father of lights and the giver of every 
good, morally good, agathos, morally good gift in every perfect bestowment, okay? Complete bestowment. And he does it then, as we saw last week, okay, as we went into then last week, we looked into the fact that we are going to undergo trials, kind of all joy, brethren, when you fall under trials, right? So you are going to go through trials. This is a reality. But as you go through the trials, if you know that God is the Father of lights and he's the giver of every good gift and every perfect gift, you're going to consider this as a blessing, as joyful. And we saw that the Greek word really means happy, glad, gleeful. Again, many people want to bring that word down a little bit so it doesn't mean what what you know, it doesn't really mean to be happy, but rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice, let your moderation be made known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. It's an exciting thing when the Lord is at hand, that you understand that you realize it. So there is a part where when I fall under these trials, we'll come back to that in a moment, right? That I am supposed to, I'm called to, I'm commanded to consider it as a joyful thing, okay? Because I know who God is, okay? Secondly, Knowing, so it's going to be a testing of my faith. I, I'm joyful because I know that it's going to be a testing of my faith. And we saw that the word for dokimos then for, for the testing is dokimos, dokimion, dokimatso. Um, and it literally is the assaying, okay, the assaying of our faith. It puts our faith on trial, if you would, okay? Hmm. And so it's like having a, that um, piece of um, gold potentially and having the acid poured onto it, and it reveals whether it's really gold or whether it's fake gold, right? And so how you go through the acid test proves what you are. Make sense? It's the, it's the jeweler with the monocle. You know, everybody else is goo-goo-ga-ga over this woman's big rock, you know? And he says, oh, madam, may I look at this a little bit closely, you know? Oh, but of course, that is the finest example of a cubic zirconian I've ever seen. It's a what? It's a fake. It's not real. It's not genuine. So the dokimatso, the dokimas, dokimion, is that which reveals the genuineness of something. It's legitimacy. It's realness. Okay? And so God is using trials. We're going to come back to this word again. This is what today's all about. Okay? We're going to come back to this word. He's going to use these things as a manner of then revealing our faith in working in us hupomene, okay? Or hupomeno, okay? So again, the noun hupomene, and the, 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 the verb hupomeno, okay? And if anybody remember the illustration, what's it mean? What was the illustration? Say it again. To so stay under, to remain under. And the illustration that I used was what? Weightlifter. Weightlifter. Good job, okay? The clean and jerk, okay? He can get it up to here, but he's got to get it up here, and he's got to hold it until the buzzer goes off. That's exactly right. He can't just get it up and say, oh man, I did it, and it's down. No, it's not a, it's not a lift. He's got to hold it till the buzzer goes off. And I can't tell you how long God's buzzer is sometimes, but you got to hold it till God buzzes. Does it make sense? Okay. And then it's a hupomene. Okay. Then you got it up and you, you did the lift. Okay. And so God gives it in order for us to increase. So we can lift that 500 pound weight, even though I'm 180 pound weakling. Does it make sense? But I can get to that point where I can lift that 500 pound weight because God is putting me through a weightlifting regiment to get me up there. Okay, so then we saw the building of our patience perfects and completes us, okay? It lacks nothing. The illustration, again, is that jigsaw puzzle, right? You're not done with that thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle missing three. 
Okay, you got it all. God is going to use then trials, troublesome situations, to build your endurance so that through the building of your endurance, you lack nothing. But if in that process, you feel like you can't make it, okay, and you can't do it, this kind of goes along paralleling with 1 Corinthians 10.13, right? Then you're instructed to do what? Ask God. Okay? If any of you lack wisdoms, it requires humility. You got to say to yourself, I don't have it. I don't know how to deal with this one. Right, Jimmy? Okay, you don't have to answer right now, but that's exactly right. Okay? Jimmy's frustrated. He's on the road, right? He has to pull off and he has to do what? Cry out to God, who has all wisdom. And he promises that he's going to give it to all liberally. He just wants to give you wisdom. Proverbs, again, we didn't go to Proverbs 1, okay, and then Proverbs 8 or 9, okay, but wisdom is, is crying out. Turn to me, turn to me, turn to me. I want to give you wisdom. But the fool says what? I'm not going to do it. I know I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. And one day what's going to happen is the fool is going to get the consequences of their actions and of their choices, and wisdom is going to say what? Sorry, it's too late. That wisdom is God, okay? It's God. So God says, listen, call to me. If you're in the midst of the trial and you're having a struggle and you don't know what to do, you don't feel like you can hoop omene, right? Call me. Call out to me. I'll help you out. I'll give you the wisdom. Okay? And then we're told to embrace the lessons that were being taught. Trials are equalizers. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. You're going to get it. The rich, rich are going to be humbled by it. The poor are going to be uplifted by it. Remember, we talked about even the, the persecutions of today going to China, right? I mean, it's amazing how many poor people who mean nothing, according to society as a whole, are all of a sudden important to the Chinese government. They want to stifle them. They want to shut them down. They want to silence them. Those poor people are being uplifted. They're being elevated. They're being exalted, if you would. Because this huge nation, this powerful nation, let me straight up, you guys have been in the military. Do you look forward to us going head-to-head -head with China? No, okay? But that big, powerful nation is afraid of those little bitty poor people who believe in Jesus. Isn't that kind of cool? You think about that. But that rich person over in China, he's got to make a decision, doesn't he? To stand for his faith means to what? Potentially, well, not just die, but potentially lose all of his wealth. He's going to make a decision. So the rich are humbled, the, okay, and the, and the poor are lifted up. Now, as we go through the passage, though, and again, for those who are new, I love things color-coded. I'm very visual, so I color-code things so I can see them, okay? But it's kind of fun, then, when you see the passage, okay, and you're looking at this, if you can see it if you're on the back, I know it's kind of hard, okay? But you got testing, that's dokimion, okay, and then approved, that's dokimatso, okay? So they're related words, okay? So they come out, okay? And so patience is our hupomene, hupomeno, Okay, and it comes down with, as translated as endured here. But note, there's also all these orange words that come down here. And we have the word trial. But down here, it's translated as temptation. It's amazing how many times this passage is divided, as I'm dividing it right now. But I'm dividing it as a misnomer from the perspective. And I'm actually, the, the title of the message is a misnomer as well. Last week, we called it part one trials. This time, we're going to call it part two temptations. But we're really not talking about trials and temptations. We're talking about parasmos. Okay, parasmos. You say, well, what is parasmos? I'm glad you asked the question. So let's talk about it. My, my jacket's up in the back. 
Sorry, is that better? Okay. <laughs> Everything for the video. Okay. <laughs> Pyrosmos, okay? It's okay, I appreciate it. So Pyrosmos, okay, literally is a troublesome situation translated as a trial or a temptation. There are sometimes Greek words just don't come over nicely into English. Okay? So what is this thing? In Bob's book, if Bob's translating the Bible, Bob's going to make this a troublesome situation. I'm not going to co- make it as a trial. I'm not going to make it as a temptation because it's both. And so periazo is the verb form. It's to be troubled, tried, or tempted. If you've been around long enough, you know, it's a, it, to me, it's a two-edged uh, coin, okay? And so you, if I, I should have brought a coin with me, but I bring out my quarter, and I'm going to flip it, right? Beginning of the NFL game, right? I'm the ref in the middle, and so I call up the two captains, and I say what? This, call it. That's right. Heads or tails, right? It goes up in the air. The guy says heads. He lets it go to the ground. It's a tail. Oh, you what? You lost. You lost. If it came up heads, that means you, you won. You succeeded. Make sense? So it comes up heads. It's a, tri- a trial because you bore up to the troublesome situation. It revealed faith in you. It strengthened your faith. Came up tails. That means you fell. You lost. It's a temptation. It's something that exposed sin in you. Either way, it's positive. Either way, a positive thing. You say, well, that's not too positive. Either way, it's positive. The reality is you need to know that you're a sinner and that you're really a vile sinner. I mean, I said it once before about what a worm I am. And someone says, you really have a poor self-image. I go, no, I got a great self-image. I got a biblical self-image. I'm only somebody because of because of God, what God has done for me. In and of myself, I'm a worm. I'm a sinner. That's what Paul said. I mean, the recognition is that, that in and of myself, I am never, ever, ever going to merit the righteousness of God. He gives it to me, okay? He who began the good work in me is what? Is continuing to? Complete it. How does he do that? What's the work that he's doing in me? What's the work that he began in me? You guys know this from Romans chapter 8. What's the work? What's, what is his predestined purpose for Bob? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he says. So, so God wants me to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So he can be the firstborn among many brethren, right? So if God's doing that, if God's conforming me to the image of Christ, what's he constantly doing for me? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Not necessarily troubling me. He's allowing my sin to be exposed. He's allowing my sin to be exposed. I don't like that so much. Do you like that so much? I don't like that so much. We'll talk about that, okay? So God has a purpose for periosmos. But again, I put the warning sign up last time, right? Because this one's going to really cause you to struggle. I could put the warning sign up because this may cause your theology to struggle today, okay? So let's go into this because God's going to give us, oh, I, I didn't show you. I brought it over. So all these are periazos, which is kind of fun, okay, as you come through it, you know, kind of all joy when you fall into various periazmoi, periazmoi because it's the, the um, plural of it, okay? But I, over here, I like to anglicize the uh, periazod, you know, rather than giving you the, the verb of it, right? So we endure periazmos, okay? When he is periazod, I'm periazod by God, for God is, ah, periazod. And so if you know anything about the Greek, and we'll talk about this in a moment, when you put the letter Alpha in front of a word, it means what? Not. Not periazod. So, so in Titus, Titus, Paul says, God who cannot sin. Literally, God is asudes. 
Asudes. He's not false. We have pseudonyms, okay? God is Asudes. He's not false. I mean, that's just his character trait. Well, God is a piasmos, piazzo. Not troubled, period. That's inbred right in his, if you would, DNA, in his be- very being, okay? He's a piasmos, piasmos. So he, but nor does he himself, what, Steve? Uh, no, forget tempt. Piazzo, piazzo. He doesn't piazzo anybody. Hmm. It kind of goes against what, you, what we, we, we think sometimes, right? Okay, but each one is periazzoed when he's drawn away of his own desire. So we want to talk about it. And so first we're given a, um, uh, an encouragement, but then we're going to be given an exhortation. Okay, so first we want to consider the, the encouragement, and that is that the man who endures is blessed. Okay, in the side, it's not on your sermon note sheets, okay? What's kind of fun here, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because I haven't really meditated on this enough to really process all this, okay? Took me by surprise earlier this week when I'm studying because you guys know I went to Branson this week, so this is a whirlwind week, okay? And so trying to just meditate on this thing as we're going through and then all day yesterday. But this is earlier in the week, maybe even last week, when I was trying to get ahead. This isn't the word anthropos. Now, I know you're saying that's all Greek to me. You're right, okay? But you, but you understand the word anthropos. You've heard that, anthropology, okay? Anthropos is the Greek word generically for humankind, man, okay? So women and men are all anthropos, okay? This is the word aner, which is the word for a male, a male. Let no male man, not male man, but male, right? Let no male say, or, or blessed is the male, I'm sorry, blessed is the male um, who endures temptation, okay? And so, again, I'm not going to make anything on that other than I thought I'd share it with you because it's, it's kind of fun. We don't really read it that way. You know what? We don't see it that way. It's like First Timothy chapter 2, that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. I would, therefore, that men, males, everywhere lift up holy hands. He wants all people, anthropos, to be saved, but he wants men to be lifting up their hands, their holy hands in prayer, okay? It's kind of fun. So when God uses words specifically, there's a reason for them, okay? And so it's for us to, to meditate on and to think about. But the conditional is, is about this, okay? This man who endures is going to be blessed when? When he is dokimatsoed when he is assayed, when he is tried and found genuine. When you are assayed and you are found genuine, then you will be blessed. He's not making a a generic comment to all human beings here. He's talking about believers. When you've come through the test, and you're found genuine. You may look genuine to me. I may look genuine to you. But you really don't know my heart. God does. Sadly, there are too many people that we can go through over the last so many years who've been in the ministry who have what? Shipwrecked the faith, fallen, whatever. They probably, they, we say fallen, shipwrecked the faith, but they really didn't. They weren't believers to begin with. And it's just come out. They weren't genuine. They weren't dokimas. Kind of interesting, Okay. God uses trials to bear out who is Dokimos and who's not. Okay? 
Peter says, 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 14, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery, fiery trial. No, that word trial there is not our word. It literally is just a fieriness, is, you know, the fieriness that's about to come on you, which is to periosmos you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice, this is our word, rejoice. Be excited to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you also may be happy, glad, excited, joy, with exceedingly joy. This is exceeding joy. This is with all exalt, exaltation. I mean, it's like, it's not our word, but it's even greater than it, you know? And it's saying, whoa, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. So in other words, if you are suffering for the name of Jesus, rejoice. That's exactly right. Look, all this, and we're not talking about this, but you got to remember, all this is pointing to the fact that you have a reservation in heaven waiting for you. If you know that, you're not living for what? The here and now. You know that you're laying up, Matthew chapter 6, treasures in heaven. You're not setting your mind on uh, things of the earth, but rather you're setting on things uh, above. And so as you're going through these trials, if you would, these parasmoses, this even persecution, even tribulation, the, the cutting off of the heads and that kind of stuff, being thrown in with the lions. When you realize that, you realize, look, God is not allowing things to happen to me wantonly, but he will reward me later for the stand that I've taken for him now. Do you know when it really comes out whether you believe that or not? When your head's on the chop block. I mean, it really, I mean, that's, that's, that's when your faith, when your faith is actually displayed. Faith is the evidence of things unseen, Right? So when does your unseen faith really become real? When it has to take action. You can say what you believe all you want, but have to prove it. If you're a roofer, if you're a roofer, you believe in gravity. And you will prove it every day. I've seen some people who play with it, though who think it really won't affect them. And guess what? They find out that it does. And everybody else around him, when they saw that it affected them, said what? <gasps> no, it's real. It's real. It's real. It's real. It's real. Okay? It's a real deal. Your faith is your faith. You can look at other people walk by faith through a, a fiery trial. But when it's your turn, it's really going to reveal whether... Okay, one of the favorite guys I'd like to bring up, if you've been here long enough... Balthasar, who can finish it? Good, say it, say it louder. You got it though. Hubmeyer, good. Balthasar Hubmeyer, okay. Balthasar Hubmeyer was one of the reformers, okay. Balthasar Hubmeyer was going around preaching and proclaiming Jesus Christ, and he was arrested by the Roman church, right? And he was taken in and tortured. He was put on the rack. They were trying to make him taller than he really was, right? And, um, and so, unless he recanted. So he recanted. He recanted of all his teachings. They left him off the rack. They let him go free. You know what he started doing when he went out? He started preaching Christ. He got arrested again by the church, and he was put back on the rack. He wasn't tall enough yet, and so they put him back on the rack to kind of, you know, give him longer arms and stuff like that. And so he recanted because he didn't really want to have those kind of long arms, you know. And so um, anyways, he goes back out. What does he do? He preaches Christ again. He arrested again. He comes back in a third time. Sound like Peter? We're going to talk about Peter in a moment. Okay, he comes back in, and they put him on the rack again, and he says, my Christ, 
my, my Lord has suffered so much for me. How can I continue to deny him? And at that moment, the rotisserie chicken became the rotisserie chicken. He died for Christ. But you've got to believe it. You've got to know it. You get it? I mean, he, he, he kept falling, but he was a believer. But it was exposing his need for what? Greater endurance to lift the weight. And finally, the third time, he was able to what? Wait for the buzzer. Lift the weight and wait for the buzzer. Sometimes that buzzer can take longer than we want for it to take. The crown. He will receive the crown of life. On your sermon note sheet, you've got a lot of verses that are there. We're not going to go through. You can look at them. They're there for your additional study, right? But what we know from 1 Corinthians 9, okay, Paul says, he, he gives us the analogy of, of the Olympics, and he says, everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now, they do it for a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown, one that's never going to go away. The people who are vying on the earth for glory are doing it for a temporal crown. One day they're going to die, and the crown's meaningless. You're doing it for an imperishable crown, the crown of life that will never, ever go away. It remains forever. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the ear, but I discipline my body. It's kind of the same concept of the, of the, the, the bringing endurance, okay? Different word, but same concept, okay? I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become adakimas, disqualified, proven to be not genuine. Isn't that something? Paul said, look, it applies to me. I am going through life asking God to continually strengthen me and prepare me in order that I might endure greater trials. And that when the day comes, when I'm asked to give my life for him, that I will pass the test. We like to walk through life like it's not going to happen in our day. But look around the world. There are believers around the world who are giving their life for Jesus Christ who are sacrificing their families, if you would, for Jesus Christ. Dads are taken away and thrown in jail for three years at a shot. Some are killed for the name of Jesus Christ. We call that the persecuted church. And we think as Americans we have a buy on it. But if the world continues the way the world goes, I, I don't have that confidence. I've stated this since the 90s. I think I'm living in the day of Christ's return. And I believe that persecutions will purify the church and they'll come to the United States, whether you like it or not. Maybe it won't come in my lifetime. That's okay. I'm not a prophet nor son of a prophet. But the reality is it's going to do in somebody's lifetime. Does it make sense? And you better be ready for it. I have kids, seven kids. I got grandkids coming, right? I got nine grandkids. I look at my grandkids and I think to myself, Will they be facing this? Will my kids have to make a decision about their kids worrying about whether they're going to die or not? Years ago, in a message I preached, and I have a little note still from my oldest daughter when she was only five or six, that if someone comes up and they point a gun to my head 
and they tell my daughter to deny Christ or they pull the trigger. I want her to look at me and say, Daddy, I love you, and I'll see you on the other side. Now, that sounds cold. That sounds hard. But you, even you kids, you think, oh, he's talking to the adults. I'm not talking to the adults. I'm talking to your kids, too. When the day comes, when the Christians were taken into the, into the, um, the, the Colosseums, they took the whole family. And you had to stand on your faith. Do you really honestly believe Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled? You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Do you believe it or don't you believe it? Again, as we go through these periosmos, we prove whether we really believe it or we don't believe it. The connection. Well, how does this play together? When he's dokamatsot, um, he'll receive it. Well, the Lord's going to give you a crown of life, but he's going to only give it to those who love him. We prove our love for him by how we go through those troublesome situations of life. The greatest commandment is to do what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It's a hard commandment. That's why it's the greatest commandment. It's the hardest one. To love God above yourself. Because in the end, we want to save our own necks. But it's laying down my neck for the one who loves me supremely, who came to the world to die for me. Even if everybody else didn't exist, he'd die for Bob. Am I willing to die for Bob or for Christ? All right, so let's move on to the exhortation side. Okay, so what do we see about then these periosmos, these periosmoi, okay, in the relationship, first of all, to God? First of all, we see that God is a periazzo. He cannot be troubled, okay? This is really kind of cool to me. In his very being, he cannot be troubled, even though man over and over and over and over tries to. So we read Matthew 4, verse 1 and 3. What's Matthew 4, 1 and 3? Anybody remember? Temptation of Christ, very good. Okay, The periazzoing of Christ. Okay, it's our, We talk about the temptation of Christ, but it's Satan periazzoing Jesus. He's troubling Jesus. Okay, Now, we call them temptations because as we're going to see toward the end, there are three categories of, of lusts, of those things coming out, okay, and we see them here, but he's troubling Jesus, okay? He's troubling Jesus in his flesh part. It says, you know, after 40 days, you must be pretty hungry. Why don't you turn the stones, if you're really the Son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Could Jesus have done that? Of course he could have done that. If he would have done that without Satan's request or command, would it have been sin? No, of course not, because he could do it, because he was God. But now he had been submitting to, to, to Satan. So he was being troubled by Satan. Then he's troubled by Satan by, by um, showing him all the, 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 the kingdoms of the world and says, if you just bow down and worship me, then I'll, I'll give you all these things because they've been given to me. Jesus doesn't debate him whether that's true or not, okay? Because he's the, he's, the, he's the God of this age, right? And Jesus says what? Get away from me. You worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve, right? And then 
He says, okay, it's said of you in the word that if, you know, that even if you're really the son of God, that he won't even allow your, your foot to be dashed. He says, so if you really are the son of God and I can believe you, then why don't you just do this? Well, now he's pride of life. Okay. So he's troubling them with the pride of life. So the, the, the eyes, the, the, um, or something, the flesh, the eyes and the pride of life. We'll talk about that in a moment. So, so he is troubled. And we're told in Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 4 that Jesus was troubled in every way, such as we are, yet without ah, sin, yet without sin, which tells me that he never what? He never, never came up queen. It never came up tails for him. It never came up tails. Because as he went through them, he always what? He had perfect self-control. Remember again, the fruit of the Spirit. We'll come back to the fruit of the Spirit a little bit later on again. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, what? Self-control. Those are all things that are derived from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings those out in you. That's why people look at your tree and they go, they see the love, the joy, the peace. They go, oh, there must be a Holy Spirit tree, right? The final one is self-control. Why? Because God is the one who has perfect self-control control. That's why he cannot be troubled, because he has perfect self-control. So even though there were those seeking to trouble Jesus, whether you want to call that temptation, whether you want to call that trials, I really don't care. He was periazzoed. But Jesus couldn't fall to that, not because he lacked the capability, but because he possessed the perfect self-control. Do you get it? He succeeded in passing the test. It wasn't that the test lacked any ability. God is not able to be troubled because he has perfect self-control. Not because he lacks something else, but because he possesses power and authority. 1 Corinthians 10, 8 10, Exodus 17, Hebrews 3, all talks about how Israel, periotsod, again, if you go to the Septuagint, Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. You'll see the word periotso there, okay? As when they tempted God in the wilderness, it'll be the word periotso. They periotsod God in the wilderness. But did they really periotso God? Was God like, oh man, I cannot believe this. The people that I have chosen, they're walking away from me. What am I going to do now? Man, Well, I'll just come up with this Jesus thing. We'll just send Jesus to the earth. It didn't happen that way. How do I know that? Because in Ephesians, we're told that the plan of Christ's coming happened when? Before the foundations of the world were laid, before Genesis 1-1, God had already determined that he was going to come and pay the penalty of our sins. So when he made Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve fell, it didn't take God by surprise. Isn't that kind of cool? How much? How great of a love does he have? I just started all over. And I said, ah, there is a defect in that model somehow. I'm going to make another one. I don't want to deal with that kind of stuff. I mean, think about it. I don't want to deal with the stuff seven of my kids can give me at times. Yeah, amen. To have billions upon billions of people putting out all these, but God's not able to be troubled by it because he has it all under control. Isn't that kind of fun? What bothers us is we don't have it under control. God does not periazzo people. Ooh. But I'm told in Genesis 22.1 that he did exactly that with Abraham. 
He piazzoed Abraham. He tested Abraham. I'm told in Deuteronomy 8, 2, 8, 16, 13, 3, and there's other verses I could go in there that he piazzoed the people, the Israelites in the wilderness. So how do you deal with this? How do you deal with the fact that we're told in James that God doesn't piazzo people, but I have examples where it literally says that God did that? How do you bring it together? God does not bring the, the, um, the troublesome situation into your life. Well, we're going to get there in a moment. Specifically when he brings it to cause you to stumble. When he brings it, it's because he knows that you won't. 1 Corinthians 10.13, you guys know it. There is no troublesome situation, no periosmos, okay, that has come into your life, but such is common to man. And God is what? Faithful. Do you believe that or not? God is faithful in that he will not allow you to be periosmost beyond what you are able to hupomeno. Okay? Actually, it's hupo pharaoh, but same concept, okay? That you're able to bear. But will, with that periazzo, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it? Okay? So God brings those, allows those, and we're going to debate the, the decreed will and the permissive will of God here, okay? I mean, it's just, it's like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, okay? I'm not God, and I'm not going to sit here and define God, and I'm not going to declare to you what God does, okay? Other than what we read in his word. Clearly, he doesn't do this to cause people to what? Stumble. But there are times when he allows them into your life to what? Build you up. Does it make sense? So, go to Abraham. Did God really need to know whether Abraham was going to be faithful or not? No, he didn't, Ted. You're right. Exactly right. Abraham needed to know. In my mind, this is not this is not straight from the Bible. This is Bob's conjecture. Okay, but I think maybe Abraham got his eyes off of God and put them on Isaac. Do we not struggle with looking at the blessing rather than the blesser? We get all enthralled with the blessings and forget about the one who actually gave them to us, and we start focusing on the blessing rather than the blesser. And I think maybe Abraham had to do the same thing. And so, because he says to him, "I want you to take your son, your only son, the one whom you." love, and I want you to sacrifice them to me. Are you willing to do that, mom and dad? Do your kids mean more to you than God? That's a hard thing, isn't it? I mean, that's a real hard thing. I get that, okay? I mean, I, I know God, you can take this for whatever you want to take this, okay? In prayer years ago, God spoke to me and told me I was going to have a daughter. Her name would be Anastasia Chris. It literally means resurrection grace. I have Anastasia Chris, and when she was going to be born, Marsha, we didn't know this, had a tumor, and it looked like she was going to die. Okay, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know whether Anna was going to die. And I mean, I'm thinking, okay, God, you want me to name it? Because I went through this huge trial, this huge, but all I could do is continually just offer her up, both of them, both my wife and my daughter, to God. They were his. Gabrielle plays the piano beautifully. But when she was 18 months, about right, this is the first time I ever met Steve. She had Guillain-Barre, ascending paralysis. 
Steve, man of many words. He is, he is an extrovert now. Okay? You got to know him back then. We, we talk about this. We're good with this. He just looked there. And he walks out. And he gets um, Dr. Uh, Miller. And they come in. They both go, hmm, hmm, hmm. And they look at each other, hmm, hmm, hmm. And they walk out. I'm ready to take somebody's throat, you know? Can somebody say, hmm, hmm, to me? So anyways, he comes back in and says, we believe that um, she's got Guillain-Barre and you need to get her down to the, the emergency room. They're waiting for you. And I said, okay. I said, like after dinner or whatever. And he looks at me like with his eye like, are you an idiot? And, and he's like, no, now. Oh, like it's that important. Like they're waiting for me now. Anyways, in the, the, we had a pediatric neurologist who was just it was phenomenal. But she says to me, after she's examining Gabrielle, she says, if she survives, she'll be in a wheelchair the rest of her life. If she survives, she'll be in a wheelchair the rest of her life. Talk about devastation. I mean, you get this, right? And so I'm crying my eyes out, but I'm praying, Lord. Do you know the next day when I'm sitting there with her, and she's just crumpled anyways, you'd have to see it all. It was the, I'm starting to read the book of Job. Isn't that timing? And, and I said, God, if this is how you want to be glorified in my daughter, when she was born, we gave her to you. She's already yours. That's hard. So I'm not bragging on myself. There have been too many times I haven't passed the test. Okay? But those are those moments where it's there. And you've got to make the decision where you're going to be. God does not periazzo people. Okay? in order to cause them to what? Stumble. John 6, 5-6, Jesus asked Philip where they would get bread to feed the multitude. We're told in the context that he was periazzoing Philip. Because he already knew what? He knew where he was going to get the food from. But he wanted Philip to trouble through it. He wanted to struggle through this thing. Oh, man, I don't know. Because now all of a sudden when Jesus does that, the, the, the multiplying of the bread, it's really marvelous, isn't it? God has a purpose in all these things. He will not allow you to be periazzoed beyond what you're able to bear. Now, concerning man, quickly as we come through this, the origins of the periosmos. You are periazzoed as a result of being led away by your own burning desires. We don't have time to go through all of this, okay? But in this passage, Luke 22, this is the, the Last Supper. Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, I've got something to say to you. Peter says, I'll oh, say on. He says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Boy, I'm so glad he asked you, Lord, because you are my rock, you are my fortress, you are my strong deliverer, and I know you kicked Satan in the teeth and said, get away from my anointed one. Well, Peter, it really didn't happen that way. I'm embellishing, of course, right? But it didn't happen that way, Peter. What do you mean it didn't happen that way, Lord? Well, I gave him permission. I said, yes. Yes, yeah, say what? <laughs> and not only that, Peter, when you are restored, encourage your brethren. What did he just say? Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. I said yes, and you are going to fail. Wow, wait a second. I thought we just said he doesn't do that. No, he doesn't do that. Satan does that. But God allows it. Because in the stumbling, we will learn the lesson. Romans 8.28 we know that all things work together for good to those who are to love God and who are the called according to his purpose. His purpose, again, is to conform me to the image of Christ. So he knows what was meant for evil, Joseph, right? 
God can use for good. And he's going to do it. So Satan's out to sift you. He thinks he's going to wipe me out. He thinks he's going to wipe out the plan. But all he's going to do is build it up. Isn't that exciting? Aren't you, aren't you excited? You're Peter. Wow, God, I'm so excited. Yeah, this is great. Satan's going to sift me like wheat. I'm going to fall. So they go out into the garden. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. All the others are out at the edge of the garden. Jesus says to Peter, Pray, lest you fall to periazzo, periasmos. Troublesome situations get ready to come upon you. Pray so you don't fall to it. Yes, got this one, Jesus. You said that Satan is going to sift me like wheat. You gave me a little bit of hint on this one. I'm up. I'm ardent. I'm zealous. I am all over this prayer thing. Jesus comes back and what? They're sleeping. And he says, wake up. Can't you pray with me for one hour? And he says it a second time. Pray lest you fall to the periosmos. Comes back again. What are they doing? They're sleeping. The crowds come. The mobs come. All of the disciples flee. Except for Peter. Peter follows from a distance. He gets into the courtyard. He's doing pretty good. I mean, everybody else might want to pick on him, but he's doing pretty good right now. I mean, Mark ran away naked, right? They grabbed his, and he's gone, right? So he's still there. He's in the courtyard. But now he's got a little girl, a little servant girl, who says to him what? You're one of his disciples. And now all of a sudden he begins to do what? Fulfill the word which Jesus had spoken. He falls to the periosmos at this moment. He succeeded in the beginning, but he fell in the end. He didn't hold it to the buzzer. You get it? Is it starting to make sense? That buzzer thing's a big deal, isn't it? You can hold it, and you can hold it long, but you got to hold it to the buzzer. He dropped the weight, and he knew it. And he went out, and he what? And he wept. But then he changed the way he thought, metanoia. He changed the way he thought. Epistrepho changed his actions. And he, then he went and encouraged the brethren, just like Jesus asked him to do. The process then of this periazzo. First of all, there's going to be this presence of a burning desire. It's epithemia. I don't have time to go into it, but it's, an, it's important. It's a burning desire. We, we translate it many times as lust. That's not, again, necessarily a, the greatest translation of it because it's a burning desire and it not necessarily is always bad because we have Luke 22 just before that passage it's right there at the Passover Jesus says I with lust I have lusted to eat this Passover with you we say no 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 that's not what it says well that's what it says it's epithemia it's the same word I have this burning passion I have this intense burning this desire that's within me I've had it for a long time to spend this moment with you so literally Intensely burning, I have burned intensely for this moment. Was that good or bad? That was good. The angels were told in 1 Peter uh, 1 that they desire, they have a burning passion to look into the things of salvation that we get to witness. But in the same context, I want to read, I'm going to start reading it now for the same context, right? 
To them, that is the prophets, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering to things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. These things which angels desire, lust, have a strong burning desire to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former burning passions as in your ignorance. The reality is we all have burning desires, burning passions. The question is, for what? Are, do you have a burning passion for God, for Jesus Christ? Or do you have a burning passion for yourself? Do you want to please God? Or do you want to please your flesh? That's really where the battle comes down. Because we have this chain of events caused by the burning desire. The burning desire spawns sin. Sin produces death. The wage of sin is death, right? And we see it then in Galatians 5, which I don't have time to get into, in Romans chapter 7. Galatians 5 says that the spirit lusts, if you would, has a burning desire against the flesh, and the flesh has a burning desire against the spirit, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And then he goes through the works of the flesh with adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, adultery, sorcery, hatred, and, and goes through the whole list, and then he talks about the, the fruit of the spirit. There's a clash that's going on within you between your burning desires, the burning desires of your flesh and the burning desires of the spirit. That's what Romans 7, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And I don't do the things I do want to do. There is this war that's going on in me. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God for the victory in Jesus Christ. Amen. So, 1 John 2 says the world's passing away, the burning desires of it. Burning desires, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or the burning desire of the flesh, the burning desires of the eye. And then I'd like to put the burning desire of your pride. It's the pride of life. It's Elizonia bios, but it's, man, it's still that burning desire of your pride, you know, that's there. So in the end, how do you respond to troublesome situations in your life? What are they revealing about your faith? Is there sin or sinful thought processes in your life that you need to confess? What are you intensely passionate, burning desires about? Is it for God to be glorified or yourself satisfied? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. It is truly quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It is dividing asunder between our soul and our spirit, between the bone and the marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Lord, it doesn't always feel good when you reveal what's going on in my heart. But I thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, for, for bringing out the dross that's in my life in order that you might cleanse it. Lord, I pray that we would count it all joy when we experience these periodos of life, knowing that you are using them to cause us to grow, even though Satan may be bringing them to cause us to stumble. That what Satan means for evil, you mean for good. And Lord, help me to never, ever question your fidelity, your trustworthiness, your faithfulness, but to understand that if you have allowed this moment through the sieve of your love you have allowed it into my life for a purpose. And that is to help change me and mold me and transform me into the image of your blessed son. Help me then to embrace the moment, even though it's hard. To rejoice and to be glad, even though it's countercultural and, and, and opposite of 
the way the world thinks. And use me and use us, Lord, before the world that others may come to you and experience this great joy for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.